0: Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over 100 articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Today, I'd love to introduce my guest, Andrew Cannon. Andrew is coming to us from Finland, and his background in consumer insights has been giving him a deep and profound understanding of people's values and attitudes and behaviors. This new knowledge, he's now applying to exploring the art and science of joy. Joy, imagine that, an area that's very often not examined Andrew is co-founder of Quandro, a company on a mission to amplify joy, amongst other things, through the creation of a joyful living community. Andrew, my pleasure to make your acquaintance and looking forward to having an interesting chat with you today.
1: Thank you, Mel. It's wonderful to be with you.
0: Andrew and I first met through some uh, brief communication on LinkedIn. I think it was around a short piece I had written around authenticity and he had some really intriguing comments to make about it. And I thought, why don't we create a shared podcast? Now, shared because Andrew is a podcaster as well and he will be producing this on his podcast around this word authentic. As I woke up this morning Andrew I was thinking I might often begin by saying, Andrew, how would you define authentic? But I've learned to be cautious about the word define or definition, because that creates boundaries. And you know, if we look at the dictionary and we look at definitions, they will grow out of common usage after a period of time. So I don't like definition. I, I prefer the word describe. How do we currently describe this word authentic or authenticity? So let me kick that off to you, Andrew and have at it authentic authenticity what does that bring up for you
1: well it's interesting i mean obviously to me it brings up being my true self being genuine to myself but that brings up a philosophical dilemma in a way that you know if i'm trying to be authentic and i'm not authentic then am i by definition being unauthentic And so within this scope of what you're saying about words and and definition, we're already with a little problem here around authenticity. If it becomes a buzzword, something that, you know, you have to be, then you can't really be authentic and be authentic. So I think it's a nice word in that from how I see it to be truly authentic, you would have to be able to say, well, I'm not authentic, you know. Beautiful.
0: So perhaps we could look at it as a continuum. On the path toward greater authenticity. So when I first wrote an article on authenticity, Andrew, I looked up the word authentic, notwithstanding it's a definition in the dictionary. And I came across to authenticate like a piece of art. Mm -hmm. And to authenticate is to assure that something is not counterfeit, that it is, in fact, genuine. And so I began to think about, well, in our personal growth as individuals, what do we need to be not counterfeit, to be genuine and worthy of belief, trustful, worthy of belief, big concept, mm-hmm. find someone worthy of belief. In other words, we can believe that what they're saying and expressing they truly believe that there isn't a manipulation there to get us to like them or approve of them or do business with them, but they're sharing their genuine self. Now, I know your work is around the art of joy. Correct. And as we dive into authenticity, I want you, of course, to feel comfortable and welcome to shedding light or illuminating how you see joy in regard to authenticity. but. Just a comment here before I turn this over to you. As a child, my mother always used to say that she couldn't say anything that she didn't believe to be true. She might withhold things that were true out of sensitivity, but if it came out of her mouth, it was her truth. And her example of this is when she became elderly and she and her friends were grandmothers, if someone would show her a baby picture and the picture of the baby was, it was not a beautiful baby. So she couldn't say, now that's a beautiful baby. But what she would do is she'd look at the picture and she'd say, now that's a baby. She couldn't lie. I for her that was
1: authentic.
0: Your thoughts on that aspect of authenticity and references to joy?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's one of the dilemmas again in today's world where we are faced in multiple situations where that is challenged to you, just the basic how are you doing today. Right. Where the stock answer is to say, I'm oh, great. Even if you're not feeling great, nobody wants to hear your problems, right? So you're already faced in the morning when you're looking at your email, you've got, you know, a hundred people asking you, how are you doing today? and so you just type out the oh great thanks beautiful monday and so we're we're already pushed in a way towards this conformity towards norms towards expectations which in most situations is harmless right just saying have a nice day is harmless in itself but when you take that to think about living joyfully and how continuing to live against your values, for example, at that core level of authenticity becomes a huge problem. Um, and I was just talking earlier today to somebody called Diamond Phillips about conflict resolution in relationships. And one of the core issues um, we were talking about was how people with different values end up in this conflict because they're constantly being unauthentic and that's either going to hurt the other person or they're going to hurt themselves in that process.
0: It's kind of like a drip, drip, drip into a bucket eventually overflows. So when you spoke of, how are you today? On occasion, I may be sitting in a restaurant or a cafe and the wait person will say, how are you? They'll say, well, if you really want to know, pull up a chair. (laughs) I walked by um, a a gentleman, uh, an African man who used to park cars at a restaurant. And I had gotten friendly with him. And I was walking by to head out for a cup of coffee. And I said, hi, Jacques. How are you? He smiled. He said, I can't complain. Mm. I thought about that. And I considered it could mean two different things. I have nothing to complain about. Or I couldn't let myself complain. On my way back, I encountered him again. And I asked him. And he struggled. I said, Jacques, which is it? He said, well, the truth is, the way I was raised, I was taught you shouldn't complain. I said, well, there's no point in my asking you, how are you? I'm truly curious. Mm -hmm. See, we shouldn't pass each other by as strangers operating from a script, because don't you think that impacts the ability to be
1: joyful when we betray our own authenticity? Definitely. I think it's one of the biggest challenges we have in that, you know, self-love is one of the foundations of joyful living, right? If you don't love yourself, you're not really capable of authentically loving others, let alone loving the planet on which we're living. So if you're not being authentic, if you're not being genuinely true to yourself, that eats away at your self-love, right? Every time you look at the mirror, you're seeing this imposter and that can be hugely damaging over time.
0: It's, it's rather like we become a robotic operating from a script, which is, to me, diametrically opposed to authenticity. So in, in my field practicing psychotherapy, I look at authenticity in regard to authentic self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I use that term, authentic self-esteem. And for me... Authentic self-esteem, which I would correlate to joyfulness, suggests that I'm going to be true to myself, genuine to myself. And I may hope that you like me or approve of me, but I won't betray myself to try to get you to like me or think well of me. In other words, as a culture, I to whatever extent it may be different for you across the ocean. But here in the U.S., there is so much of what I call other esteem, which is that by appearing a certain way and acting a certain way, we can get other people to approve of us or like us. And to me, that's a betrayal of self, as I'm manipulating self to elicit a response from others. That is other esteem, a term I use. And I would think that that's the opposite of joyfulness. In authenticity.
1: Yeah, I think so. But do you find when you, you look at that, that that is because of this lack of authentic self-esteem, people are filling that with this other esteem right? filling that void
0: in a way? V- very much so. But I, here we are educated and acculturated to do that, which is Many people, when they're young, are giving messages of to be concerned about what other people think of them. Mm. And so, as as a theme, if I'm more concerned about what I think someone else thinks of me than being true to myself, then I am not on my path to a joyfulness. Or yeah. It doesn't mean I disregard them or I don't have sensitivity or caring, but it's like a seesaw. If I put myself in the down position and put them up, uh-huh. that's going to work out
1: yeah no definitely uh, i could talk to you forever about my my childhood of of being raised a catholic in in the uk and and what that does for your authenticity and genuineness it, it's definitely a huge challenge when you're brought up in that type of environment where you're told constantly you know to behave a certain way to make an appearance and to not show your real self or your, your real situation. So, you know, when that's drummed into people from a young age, it's definitely then hard to unlearn as an adult.
0: And how do you try to break free from that toward your goal of joyfulness?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first one is is the self-awareness, you know, actually being aware of the problem in the first place to not just sweep it under the carpet or say that's how it has to be. That's how it's always been. So to understand that one has the power to choose, one has the power to follow that road or one has the power to say, no, um, that's not me. I'm starting to learn who I am and I'm comfortable with the person I see in the mirror. I'm comfortable with the voice I hear in my head and I'm happy to let that voice out.
0: It's about learning to not make excuses or justifications for not allowing yourself to be genuine.
1: Correct. Yes, this self-awareness, I think, is, is key to it in a way, because if you don't understand who you are, it's so easy to just follow somebody else, right? Or to follow some other doctrine or dogma and say, yeah. that's who I am, because you don't know who you are, really. And
0: in that case, virtually everyone is following this made-up doctrine. So this becomes a blow to authentic self-esteem, and it fortifies insecurity and self-doubt because we're not invested in ourselves. We're invested in what we think other people
1: think. Right. And when you get feedback, negative feedback from that other cohort who you thought you were appealing to, that can, again, become hugely damaging, right? Mm -hmm. That you thought what you were going to say was going to appeal to this group and they laugh at you or they ignore you, whatever, right? And you thought, well, I've hung my, my authenticity on belonging to this group and all of a sudden I'm rejected. Ah,
0: but could they be laughing or even ridiculing out of their own insecurity and their own discomfort? So we set them up as the judge, with them in quotes. Mm. So I'm fond of saying everyone has an opinion, but when we elevate someone's opinion to a judgment, we're doing that. They're not my judge. They're just people. Right. Why do you think we do that? Why do we project this greater authority onto other people? You spoke of the Catholic upbringing. Well, that could be one
1: example. Yet there are so many non-Catholics who do it as well. Right. Definitely. I think part of it's a comfort thing in a way. Um, I think there is a comfort to giving somebody else responsibility Mm. and not having to take that responsibility yourself. Um, I think that is part of the reason for this.
0: And, and is that the way you were raised or part of Catholicism? But do you think that's more a, a universal
1: experience? I think that's more of a universal one, that I don't think that's particularly my experience or Catholicism. But I feel that, you know, many people are in some way happy to not take responsibility for themselves and are happy to belong to a group.
0: And let the group
1: decide. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's against their opinion or not, and they will just go with that opinion.
0: Which would, of course, be antithetical to leadership. Correct. Yeah. And to feel comfortable in leadership, we don't surrender our authority to others. But what you're describing may also be why the world is the way it is. As we give power over to leaders who are often counterfeit leaders.
1: Definitely. I think that's part of it. And I think it's also a struggle for leaders who want to be more authentic leaders. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of leaders who are brought up in the classical neo capitalist system, but are personally seeing their values change at the moment, seeing that they are more interested in broader well-being, not just financial well-being, but, you know, the well-being of their people, the well-being of the planet. And I see them somewhat struggling to be authentic in their own leadership where this is somewhat challenged still by the old school um, that they belong to. Throughout the world, many governments or the majority of governments
0: might feel threatened if people develop their own inner leadership and became more challenging to the forces that governed them um, without moving into a conspiracy of this idea. Uh, there's a correlation between authentic democracy and the ability for the people in that uh, nation to develop an inner leadership, which I think would be the exception.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that that tension within that. And I suppose the added tension with the communication tools we have today is that, you know, these individuals with their own authenticity can group together to create authentic groups, which may then challenge the inauthentic leadership.
0: I think it perhaps also begins, I don't know about your education in England. Did you go to religious school?
1: Yes, I had the nuns teaching me. Okay.
0: So I, I went to a traditional uh, education here in the U.S., but our educational system does not cultivate or promote authenticity. For example, education here is primarily about digesting and being able to regurgitate data and facts, mm-hmm. what we call knowledge. But that's not educational, and it's not enlightening. We don't cultivate asking great questions, which would be stimulating and would be intellectually curious and generative. It's answers. And perhaps part of the problem is authenticity requires more than sitting there in a robotic way and digesting data. But if I have a question or I want to challenge something, I should feel comfortable doing it. And yet educationally, and as you refer to in family dynamics,
1: and cultural system, we don't. We feel like we're stepping out and taking the risk, don't we? We do. We do. And I think this issue of conformity and, and, you know, when you talk about the U.S., we have this image here of the U.S. being very individualistic. And therefore, you know, you would associate individualistic with authenticity as a potential connection. But from what you're saying, there's still a disconnect. It's individual, yes, but it's conforming individualism i you know my view of individualism is skewed by my personal beliefs
0: as all of our views are skewed in the new book that i wrote which is based upon theories of quantum physics i speak of reality as being essentially inseparable Mm. oneness i come at it from science not from mysticism and yet I think that our thinking is still rooted in 17th century science between Newton and Descartes. We spoke of a clock-like or a machine-like universe where we are separated individuals. So to me, the excess of individualism leads to intense competition, insensitivity, a loss of collaboration and compassion and empathy. So individualism has its place. Like finding my authentic voice, but remembering that I am part of a whole. In the U.S., I see individualism, and I'm generalizing now, of course, as a loss of the values of compassion and empathy or joy. These are the values in the American culture. The values are achievement and success and ego gratification, which are all extremely individualistic.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, when you think about it and you think about music, I like to think about music of orchestras or jazz where you've got, you know, different instruments, different voices, but they're all playing towards the same result, the same purpose. You know, so you've got individual performers, but when they come together, the whole is greater than the the sum of the parts.
0: that's That's a beautiful analogy. And I've written about that. And I use the word concert. They're mm. operating in concert. They're all individual musicians, but they're operating as part of the whole. And so there's harmony in right. concert there. Um, you know, um, an ant colony operates from collective intelligence, mm. operate as a whole. So in concert, that the orchestra is beautiful. And what does the word disconcert mean? a loss, a a fragmentation. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you can maintain the individual self and be respectful as part of the whole. That's the ideal. Do you see that description prevailing much in your pursuit of
1: joyfulness? I see more and more of a desire to go in that direction. I still think it's still the minority of people that are desiring to work that way. We still have this perception of what is success, what is status, money. Those drivers are still very much seen in this individual world that we're living in. But I do see a shift towards more collaboration, towards more working together as groups, wanting to belong to tribes, to different cohorts, where people are like-minded, where you can be genuine because you have that social network of people who feel like you, and it's you're not the strange person in the room to say I I care about joy, um, I want to believe in love. You know, these are acceptable things to say within these groups, and I see that part of society definitely growing. Desire for people to to move in that direction, but they're being pulled back all the time by conformity to the status quo, to the expectations of family, friends, relatives, work, all these pressures.
0: And yet, as, as we said earlier, and all of those
1: people that we may be
0: sublimating or subordinating to, they're operating from the same thesis. So in a way, there's a mass misinformation, if not ignorance, You know, when we hear an expression like they say, what we call common wisdom, which is not very wise or common sense, they say, I often say, well, who are they? Who's the they operating that we're following their beliefs? Common sense, to me, turns out to be very nonsensical. But this default to what we think they think completely impedes authenticity. Yet, as you pointed out, the joy of the kindred connection with others is powerful. But we can be connected with others and still have differing points of view,
1: couldn't we? I think that's a fascinating point that you raised because when you do look at the world, and you look at the world in particularly through the lens of the internet, the lens of social media, And the huge potential that that has to connect people and the actual reality in today's world that it's driving people apart in many ways. It's polarizing. It's forming these little echo chambers, so to speak. Um, I see this sort of challenge in that area where, in principle, it's a wonderful thing and we can connect with like-minded people, but we need to avoid this echo chamber. This hate for somebody with opposite opinions, which seems to be the status quo amongst politicians, amongst the media, um, which are driving this divisive
0: behavior. I see a pathway through that is to not argue facts. I find that something that can really open up a conversation rather than argue facts, which gets us nowhere, Mm. is to ask someone, how did you come to that belief? So, for example, if I'm speaking with someone who is who I find to be racist or prejudiced, it will serve no end to try to change their mind. But if I ask, how did you come to that belief? Mm-hmm. And there's a pause. And then, well, everyone knows that. Well, I don't know that. My friends don't. So how did you come to your belief? Well, it's how I was raised. It's what my parents said. Oh, so if you were born into my family, with my parents, you'd have a different belief. Ah, I guess so. Ah, so we have different beliefs because we have different experiences. Now, we've separated from the argument about what's true and false. Mm, that's, that is really clever to do it that way. And That opens a door. right? I, I first learned this giving a talk one evening on the change process. Mm. and uh, a gentleman in the audience stood up and asked a question. It was evident that he did not believe in change. And I was about to go after him in a debate, actually, and I stopped. And I asked him a question, which I had never asked before. He said, so you don't believe in change. You don't think people can change. He said, that's right. And I then asked the pivotal question. How did you come to that belief? So he shared his family history. And it did just what I suggested earlier. So, if you were my brother with my experiences, you might have a different belief. Now we can have a conversation, take facts and turn them into beliefs. Now, beliefs aren't right or wrong, and they're fungible.
1: I can change my belief more easily than I can change my identity. That is such a clever way of doing it. I'm impressed. I'm going to try that one definitely more and more. And instead of arguing the facts as a researcher, I'm obviously very fond of arguing the facts. So to step back from that.
0: I have never changed anyone's opinion by arguing facts. Thomas Jefferson you know, America is so America centric, we can cite a politician and think the whole world knows who he is. <laughs> but Thomas Jefferson, a great American president, said, I've never heard of an example of two disputants convincing each other through facts. Mm-hmm. Facts don't change people's opinions. When I hear political debate in this country, I would be eager to counsel one of the politicians, clearly the one whose side I agree with, and say to him, listen, don't argue the fact. Say to the other person, how did you come to that
1: belief? Yeah. It's funny. It's not a question that's been heard in these political debates, at least in the ones I've listened to. Nobody's ever actually asked that question of the other politician.
0: Or... Actually, leaning into the accusation that you've been charged with. Going back a long time, when John Kerry was running for president against George Bush, this is now maybe 20 years ago, John Kerry was charged with being a flip flopper, someone who changes their opinion. Mm -hmm. And I thought Kerry's response should not have been, No, I'm not a flip flopper. He should have said, You know, when I'm confronted with new information, I can reflect and change my mind that's a good thing why would you call that flip-flopping in other words this power in coming out of predictability
1: Mm. definitely especially in today's world you know where we're faced with so much transformation in the world happening on so many different levels whether that's you know, economic, political, societal, climate, whatever angle you take, there are all these changes happening at the moment. So your ability to understand yourself and where you stand within this different spectrum is so fundamental for your ability to make the right choices moving forward. So that's why I'm so keen on this topic of authenticity and people taking the time to understand themselves.
0: And and that requires embracing some uncertainty and being able to say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll have to give that some thought. Not knowing is an important piece of authenticity.
1: I would think so. And to necessarily, yes, listen to your own voices, um, but I would also suggest listening to other people, right, especially your loved ones. No, you ask them, right? Ask them. How do they see and, you?
0: And and further to that, ask them how they came to that opinion. Right. What influenced them? Hmm. To, okay. to truly know each other, we need to ask deeper questions, not like a prosecutor trying to make a point, but out of curiosity. I find for joyfulness, my deepest relationships and friendships require a deepening knowing mm. where I'm curious. So I don't just operate on the surface of the right. saying. but wow. What were your experiences or beliefs that helped you come to that position?
1: Well, you know, you're so lucky because, you know, with your focus on authenticity, with that comes as a bonus, I think, curiosity. Exactly right? It's a, it's a bonus ball, right? You, you, you focus on your authenticity and all of a sudden you're finding out you are being more curious, not just about yourself, but about others. You're asking these questions. You're going deeper into yourself, but into your relationships with others, into how you fit into the world. And so what a great double gift that is to be both authentic and curious.
0: And that's precisely this very good point you're making. And for me, That might even be around the use of a word or an expression. Because I've come to realize that a word or expression may mean a different thing to you Mm. than to me. And to truly appreciate what you're saying, I might ask, what does that word mean to you? I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. That is a key element I use in communication, Mm. particularly with couples, which is let's not argue about the word until we have a shared meaning. Right. What word means to
1: you. Yeah. And again, you know, my life as a researcher, that was one of the key things I always said to the young researchers I worked with, that avoid assumptions from your own belief systems, from what you feel this word means. (laughs) Communication doesn't happen until the other person translates your words into something else. And that is your goal as a researcher, to understand how that communication is received, not how it is communicated. And then they go, oh, right, okay. And it totally flips the coin because we're so focused on our own words. We forget that no communication has happened until the other person has processed and received those words.
0: And we need to check back in and make sure of that you yeah. can't operate from assumption. In closing for today, my curiosity and interest is very piqued by looking at the interface of joyfulness, the heart and passion of your mm-hmm. work, authenticity, which is core to my work. It's an aspect of my work, but my ultimately I try to help people become more authentic so that right. they can prosper in their lives. Final question for you, which may be the easiest of today, Andrew, uh, if, any, if any listeners would like to get in touch with you,
1: how do they contact you? Well, that's a very simple question, definitely. No matter where you go on YouTube, the web, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all you've got to do is type in one word, the art and science of joy, and you'll find us and you'll find me behind that. So, so definitely, that's the easy way to that to do it. So, so likewise, Mel, I, I obviously need to ask the same question to you, sir. How are people going to find you when they need to find you?
0: Well, the easiest way is my website, which
1: is my name, melschwartz.com,
0: M-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. Final thought for today, which just occurred to me, It might be really interesting if you wanted, the inspiration is there for me, would be able to put together a a small group of like-minded inquiring minds, really have a conference of sorts um, Mm. via Zoom, Um, perhaps even open up to an audience who can proffer questions around the art (sighs) and science of joy and seeking authenticity
1: and expand the work. So just wanted to throw that out there to you. No, I think that would be a wonderful thing to do, Mel. I think this is so wonderful talking with you and the likes of you, you know, as you know, doing the podcast is such a great experience. But when you can bring in an audience and, and you can get the questions and to have an interaction with a panel, Within that, it sort of adds sort of magic to the experience. So I'm definitely open to discussing that option with you further now that we're connected.
0: Well, let's do that. And it was great pleasure meeting you and talking with you today. And I hope to continue our
1: dialogue. Definitely, Mel. Thank you so much for talking to me about authenticity today and letting me share my thoughts with you too. Well, wishing you a joyful life. Indeed, and an authentic one.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this episode's topic and other related subjects, please be sure to check out my book, The Possibility Principle. I always welcome your feedback, and you can comment on this or any episode by visiting MelSchwartz.com, M E L S C H W A R T zcom Click on the podcast link in the menu, and you can reach out via email to Mel at MelSchwartz.com. The best way to make sure you never miss any episode of The Possibility Podcast is to follow the show and subscribe for free in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll get new episodes as soon as they're released. And while you're at it, please take a moment to rate and review the Possibility Podcast and Apple Podcasts or the app of your choice. Ratings and reviews help raise the visibility of this podcast and make it easier for new listeners to discover the show. So thank you for your honest review and thank you for listening. Until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities.